episode 1008 of the Talk and Audio Podcast Off and Running. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you all for checking out the show. Coming to you today live from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Got a great guest, Andrew Berkshire from the SDPN, is going to be here to talk all things Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Carey Price not going to play this year. Kirby Doc just got a new contract. What's Cole Caulfield going to do? What are the plans for Yuri Slavkovsky? We got a ton to get to with Andrew. Uh, we'll do that in just a second. I uh, also want to mention that uh, we said on the Tuesday morning show that we'd be talking to Dave Bedini this week. That obviously has not happened. There is a good reason for that. Uh, there was some extra news, some extra episodes that came out. The Tim Stutzla stuff happened. We wanted to get to that. And uh, so Dave Bedini is going to be on the show early next week. And we will talk about his contributions to the Summit 72 series. Uh, that is going to debut on CBC on Wednesday, September 14th. It's a four-part documentary series um, going through the Canada-Russia 1972 series. Uh, that was 50 years ago, so they are marking the occasion again. And Slava Malamud is a name that some of you may be familiar with. He is a hockey commentator, obviously comes from a Russian background, lives in the United States now. But I wanted to ask him about the Russian perspective on this, uh, this event, how it will be remembered. Will it be remembered? Like, do they even care now that, you know, once you've lost, you don't remember it as fondly. Do they believe they lost? There's some stories to that, um, that, uh, maybe they think they actually won the series in a different way. Uh, you know, what is the uh, reputation in Russia of that team Canada? That was maybe a little bit more rough and tumble than the Russians were used to. There's a ton of things that I just, I'm curious about, and we very rarely get the Russian perspective on. So reached out to Slava and uh, yeah, he agreed that he would come on and, and talk about it. So look for that probably on Wednesday morning. Uh, I'm still not exactly sure when we're going to drop these, but if you're subscribed to the podcast, you don't have to worry about it. They'll land in your podcast app when they're ready. So on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are, just make sure to hit that follow button, that subscribe button, you will get it all. Or uh, just hit us up on social media. Give us a follow there at Tall Can Audio. We'll make sure you get everything you need to know. So all of that has been pushed to next week. We will get to it. We'll have a lot of fun talking about the 1972 Summit Series. Uh, with all that out of the way, you good listeners know that I am uh, mostly a, a Leaf guy and uh, our usual co-hosts around here are, are Sens fans. And we often get criticized for not talking enough about the Habs. And after a disappointing season... Um, they've had a fascinating off season, surprised some people at the draft, made a couple moves here throughout the season. And of course, most recently here, uh, some big news on Carey Price. So we've gone out, we found you somebody plugged into the Habs. He is currently the, uh, the host of Game Over Montreal. Uh, Andrew Berkshire's here and the most natural place to start, man, is, uh, what are your thoughts on Sandine having not yet signed with the Leafs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh thank you for making Sandine. the time, man. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, Sandine, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> Good young prospect seems to have been passed by Lilligren. Seems to be, man. Seems to be. Um, I, I know right now you're hosting a, a game over uh, Montreal on the SDPN. Where else, before we get started here, can people find your work? I know you got bylines all over the place. Uh, actually, right now, I am simplified. I am now full-time with SDPN. Uh, pretty much the only place you can find me, that, and I do some work for uh, Betway, doing bets twice a week. Uh, you can check out there on their U.S. blog. So it's a usblog.betway.com. Uh, but yeah, mostly I'm now just going to be SDPN because I'm now the uh, program director for our expansion. As okay. we are expanding to every Canadian team this year, if you're American, uh, I'm sorry, listener. We will get to you eventually. The plan is to have all teams have their own postgame show. But we want to expand in a way that's sustainable uh, and under control. 
so that uh, we can make sure that everybody continues to have jobs. So tell us a little bit about this uh, this game over things. I know you started it last year in Montreal after every single game, and uh, there was, uh, I guess, crept into Toronto towards the end of the season, and now you're saying obviously it's going to roll out across the country. But what's the deal? Where can people find it, and what's the concept? Yeah, so Game Over Montreal was the pilot project, essentially, to see if it was something that would work, and it was. Uh, basically, we are underserved in Canada especially, but hockey in general for the post game. Uh, often it's handled by radio instead of on video Mm -hmm. and they don't do a great job of it. It's often call in shows where you just get the same four or five people yelling about the goalie, letting (laughs) in a soft goal or whatever. Right. So we thought, why not bring intelligent, uh, interactive content right after a game so that fans have somewhere to go? Because most people, unless the game is real bad or just super boring, want to continue engaging in some way about their team after the game is over. And oftentimes we just skip straight to highlight shows in the broadcast. So why not open your YouTube app and go to SDPN and load up a game over for your team and you can watch and interact. You can talk to the hosts through the chat. You can suggest topics that they can talk about. It's going to be this year for the most part, a hard 30 minute segment where we talk about three different things usually and uh, get down to the nitty gritty of the game. And it's going to be really fun. I think this is the big thing that it, we're pushing the most with game over is it's fun. Right. It's fun to be a guest on. It's fun to watch, to interact with. And that's what I think the fans love the most. You know, we had people for game over Montreal who were tuning in late in the season who weren't even watching the games anymore. Right. They just wanted to be part of the experience. And I think that's what's so special about it. And it's going to take over. Uh, we're going to have post-game uh, stuff for hockey, for sure. We're going to expand to other sports at some point. So it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work for me, a lot of training. we got some hiring open now. So you, go to, you can go to sdpn.ca slash careers and apply for every Canadian market except for Calgary and Montreal because those are handled. Toronto needs another person. So if you're a Leafs fan, there is an opening. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's going to be super fun. You get to work with awesome people for an awesome company that's just starting out and wants to do things the right way, not a big conglomerate that uh, will not name anybody, but sure. that treat people poorly. Yeah. Uh, we have seen quite a bit of that. You did mention by the end of the season there for Montreal fans last year, maybe they were more interested in the conversation than actually seeing the games. It was a disappointing year with a bit of an uptick towards the end. We saw some uh, some things start to turn around after the coaching change. Maybe we'll get to that in a second. But that disappointing season leads to having the first overall pick at the draft. And I'm curious because I think it was very cool just the the moment that the Habs came out and and you know, said that it was going to be Uri Slifkovsky and the vibe in the building, it was almost like a, a Jerry Springer moment that, oh, right, like m- almost more than a cheer or a boo or anything, just a shock. I wonder how long it took in the days afterwards for people to kind of wrap their heads around it. Were you surprised that they took Slifkovsky over Nick, uh, I was going to say Nick Suzuki, he's already pretty well established there, uh, over Shane Wright. Um, you know, what was the vibe immediately afterwards and are people excited or do they think it was a mistake? What uh, what was the general vibe there coming out of the draft? I was at the draft and it was it was phenomenal, the whole draft, honestly. I, I've been to two drafts I've watched every draft since I was a kid and I've never seen an audience so pumped about everything that happened and so 
all over Gary Bettman, <laughs> booing him every time he was out there. Not just the first time. Every time he came up to the mic, he was drowned out in booze. <laughs> Uh, it was fantastic, and he loved it too. He he played it really well. Sure. But the shock in the building when they didn't take Shane Wright, and I was shocked as well. I thought it was a, pretty much a sure thing. There was a lot of buzz <laughs> about taking Slavkovsky, but my thought was that they were trying to play chicken with the Devils to get the Devils to trade for the number one pick so that then they could turn around and take Shane Wright anyway sure. and get the player that they wanted. But clearly they saw something in Slav that – uh, they didn't see and write, and they've started to talk a little bit more about what their decision-making process was like uh, for that pick, but it's still a risk. I think that it was an interesting move. I don't know if it was the right move yet, but Slavkowski has already endeared himself to the Canadians fans extremely well. He's very funny. Like, if you go and find some quotes from him, he's extremely funny seems to be very intelligent, and his style of play, I think if he hits here, he will be a fan favorite very quickly. It's just a matter of, is his production against men more indicative than his first half of the season in uh, his regular league last year? That's the big question, right? And I know he was better in the Liga after the Olympics. That's definitely something to look at. But very small samples with Slavkovsky. It's really very much a... Uh, it's a it's a risk, right? Uh, Shane Wright has huge samples of being a dominant player. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a very good player in the NHL. He, he just doesn't have that wow factor that Slavkovsky does, and it's going to be interesting. I think not taking the center, there aren't very many drafts that you can go back in between, you know, like a winger and a center and say that not taking the center was the right move, but this could be one. We just don't know. And I also don't think that they would have made that pick had they not had the Kirby Doc trade in the chamber. I think they believe in Kirby Doc quite a bit, which uh, to my estimation is maybe a little bit too much, but the deal they signed him to actually earlier today is very reasonable. They got what will likely be his prime year signed until he's still a restricted free agent for one more year after for a very reasonable dollar. So if he hits as well, they're looking very smart. I've liked Ken Hughes's work overall since he took over but this summer definitely was a little bit more risky than I think most people expected, which shows that he's not afraid, but also people are a little bit less sure about it. I think just my, my read on it, there are more critics looking at it saying, Oh, I'm not sure. As opposed to if he would have made the safe choices, like taking right instead of uh, drafting Slavkovsky. And maybe if they made that trade, instead of trading the pick for Kirby doc, just drafting again, I think a lot of people want, those young assets that we don't know anything about. Whereas Kent Hughes is taking players that are a little bit older that maybe don't have the value that they had when they were first drafted, but that he feels have the raw tools that they can develop into something special. And it's a great gambit. If they're right about this, they could be like trendsetters in the NHL and the rebuild will take less time than what they originally thought. So it's interesting. It's not a sure thing. It reminded me a little in and everything is about the Leafs kind of way of the Austin Matthews versus Patrick Line debate that cropped up at the time where Line at the, uh, my recollection when we were talking about Austin Matthews I don't think anyone was taught thinking generational goal scorer when he was drafted I remember hearing comparisons like Anze Kopitar and you're like man you'd love to get a guy like that right and that was sort of the area you were looking in meanwhile Patrick Line is lighting it up at the World Juniors and and playing really well and there was this debate about the big scoring winger versus 
a center who might be a little less flashy. That turned out not to be the case, but if we look at it in hindsight, and ultimately it turned out that, you know, Matthews became what he became and Patrick Lyonnais had a few ups and downs ever since then. But this reminded me of that a little bit. Maybe Shane Wright, a little bit less flashy, a little less sexy of a pick, but maybe a slightly safer pick. Whereas the the big flashy winger who's just come off lighting up some international tournaments um, is more of a gamble. But again, if, if that pays off, um, it pays off big. Is there any, in your to your mind, is there any comparison there or is it just a totally different situation? Well, I think it's a little bit similar, but I think neither of them have the ceiling that was projected on those two at that time. I think Slavkovsky is a very different player than Line A in that he can score, but he's a much more complete player than Line A. Like, Line is a good player, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. Sure. But don't ask him or expect him to play defense, <laughs> right? It's it's not going to happen. No. Uh, he might make an honest effort, but he just doesn't have the aptitude without the puck to do that. He's a scorer first. That's what he wants to do. And Austin Matthews, as much as there wasn't as much hype around his draft as there maybe should have been considering what we know now, there was definitely hype. Like oh, when sure. He, when he made that uh, Team North America for the World Cup, I think he shocked a lot of people by how NHL-ready he was. Yes. Like I think that was like the main question going into that. Is like how NHL-ready were that supposed top three with Matthews, Line A, and Puyarvi? Obviously, Puyarvi wasn't ready at all. Line A could score immediately, and Austin Matthews dropped into the NHL as essentially a complete player who, like number one center that does almost everything you could possibly imagine immediately. Right. I, I think that he really benefited from that year in Switzerland instead of playing like junior hockey or major junior or USHL. It really allowed him with his big frame to grow a- and become a man. Essentially he, like his first game in the NHL. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Right. Yes. Like he, he stepped onto the scene. Like he looks pretty NHL ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. He was incredible. And I, I don't know if there's anywhere close to that, but maybe like a, a slight, like a, a second line comparison. Sure. <laughs> you know okay. I mean? Yeah. Like I, I like Shane Wright a lot. I don't know if he's going to be a number one center. I think that if he is, it's like, you want to have a second number one center kind of thing, that kind of situation. Right. But uh, yeah, Slavkovsky, I see him as he's the number one overall pick. So he'll have crazy expectations, but I think they want him to be not like the top guy, if you know what I mean. Like he's yeah. not expected to be the cornerstone that the franchise turns around on. I think they see Suzuki and Caulfield in the same stratosphere as Slavkovsky, if not even a little higher. Mm-hmm. And they really want one of the top three guys in this next draft. I think that's what it all pins out, pins on. As uh, we head into training camp here in a couple weeks, is there any question at all around Montreal as to whether or not he's going to stay with the team coming out of camp? Is it going to be decided in camp, or is is he here and he's going to play in the NHL? Everything I hear is that he'll definitely get his nine games, unless things go catastrophically wrong. But as much as there's hype around him and they'll want to give him a chance, like there's a there's talk basically of him starting the season with Suzuki and Caulfield, which for offensive production is pretty great, pretty great situation to be in probably play on the power play as well. But if he doesn't score, you know, like three goals plus in those first nine games, or if he struggles to score, even in the first five kind of thing, 
I think they'd be very wise to send him down to the American League because he's on that European contract that can slide. Right. And on top of like even if he's NHL ready but just barely having that slide capability for his entry level contract allows them to extend and they can do that for 2 years. They can extend how long he's cheap for for so that he can still be cheap when their rebuild starts coming into competitive windows, right? right? So you could have Slavkovsky, if he's NHL ready right now, for three years, and then you have to pay him. Or you can kind of delay it a little bit, let him mature, grow into his body for two years, and then you've got three more years in years three to five of your rebuild, which becomes much more interesting. And I think the far better move for the organization overall. Okay, so a little delay there, as you all just heard. Uh, the uh, that was the fire alarm in my condo building going off, so we had to uh, to shut things down. That was Wednesday afternoon, and uh, Andrew's been good enough to circle back here on Friday afternoon to finish our conversation. Thanks for coming back, man. I do appreciate it. It's my pleasure. We're ready to pick up where we left off. Do I remember where it was? No, but thankfully I'm not the host. You are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Before maybe we dive right back in. I don't know. That was Wednesday. This is Friday. There has been huge earth moving news, man. I'm sure people have seen it. It's been on every TV network. Um, Things have been, people have been very emotional about all this. I wanted to get your reaction because we now live in a very different world now that the Toronto Maple Leafs have offered a PTO to Zach Aston Reese. What did you think, man? (laughs) Honestly, I'm surprised that Aston Reese is in a position where he is taking a PTO. I think he's had a good couple of years. It's true. <laughs> I, I'd be shocked if he's not on the roster. I mean, unless somebody else signs him first during the PTO, but a uh, uh, good move for Toronto, I think. I, it's a bit confusing considering they have so many defensive-minded forwards on the roster now. My one question about the way that the Leafs are reacting the last couple of years, they haven't done anything rash and blown it up. They haven't put themselves at risk of like ruining – uh, the team in their competitive window, but I do think that they've responded in, in an incorrect way to why they've lost in the playoffs. I think they keep on doubling down on defense, but it's the scoring that struggles. Yep. And I wonder if they would have leaned into a more of a scoring third line instead of a defensive third line, if it would have given more opportunities for guys like Matthews and Marner and Nylander to get away from top checkers more and uh, or that third line to chip in and, and help them out more. Uh, David Camp was great in the playoffs last year, but I think you can't rely on him to do that no, again. You cannot. Um, and I, I'm with you. Now you also had to account for the fact that Mikheyev has left and the, the offense yep. that he was uh, bringing from that defensive role as well. Look, I, I don't know where exactly he's going to slot, but, and it's unfair to expect anything from him because he just hasn't shown it yet. They absolutely need Nick Robertson to show up this year and, and become yes, a guy do. that can get some secondary, uh, some scoring with those guys. But, uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave that for another day. Perhaps, um, <laughs> we had just finished up talking about, uh, Yuri Slavkovsky and I wanted to talk about another high end winger that the, uh, the Habs have got going on here, or got, uh, got in camp this year. And that of course is Cole Caulfield. And he got off to kind of a miserable start, but finished the season strong. Would it be, is it, 
oversimplifying it to just say he was kind of screwed by coaching and nobody benefited more from seeing Martin San Luis arrive than that guy? Uh, I mean, it's definitely oversimplifying it. I think there, there was Dominic Ducharme actually did an interview and it was like a couple weeks ago, I guess. And, you know, he has a vested interest in trying to make himself look a little bit better, obviously, because sure. no one in the league, except for maybe Mark Bergevin, looked worse than him halfway through last year. <laughs> But uh, he talked about how Cole Caulfield, you know, we kind of forget that he went from playing a college schedule to a Stanley Cup final run last year and then a short summer and he's still a kid. And then he now he's like expected to play top line minutes in the NHL at the start of the year. People saying he's going to score 40 goals. He was written in like everybody's favorite to win the Calder Trophy. And that maybe that got in his head a little bit. And like physically he was exhausted right. you know he was beaten up still from the playoffs uh he said that he injured himself in preseason last year which i don't think anybody really knew about nope. and so that kind of hurt him early but at the same time there was a very clear change in caulfield's approach when the coaching change happened so you could actually see in the weeks leading up to that coaching change that caulfield was on the verge of breaking out he was doing the right things he was creating chances but it wasn't until after the coaching change that he was given the freedom to take the space that he needed to take and not worry about, you know, being benched or playing with fourth liners, that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think it was a coincidence at all, but I think that the the extreme nature of the change, it probably oversells how much of it was on Ducharme, but Marty St. Louis very clearly likes offense and likes to put his players in a position, especially his talented players to do the things that they naturally can do. And that plays to Caulfield's strengths. And it, it was just, it was really cool last year to see him flip that switch and become one of the most dangerous players in the league down the stretch, you know, scoring at essentially a 50 goal pace. It was uh something we haven't seen in Montreal for a long time. So I hope that he continues it. If he, you know, Obviously, 50 goals is way too much to ask for a player who isn't necessarily surrounded by that much talent on the Montreal roster. Mm-hmm. But if he can score 35 this year, push 40, that kind of impact is going to earn him a very large contract. <laughs> and I wonder how quickly the Montreal Canadiens want to sign him because – if you can get him to term now before he scores 40, yeah. I feel like it'd be a better plan long-term for the team. Well, it seems like the Stutzla gamble, off. right? Like there were get it now yeah. before Giroux and Debrink had help elevate those numbers through the roof. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. And that's the thing about like Ottawa, not to get on a tangent about Ottawa, but uh, they made big bets on Stutzla and Josh Norris mm-hmm. who have like decent production so far, but both of them, their production comes from, high power play on ice shooting percentage and high personal shooting percentage. And those are two things that usually over time don't last. So both those guys need to figure it out at even strength. They need, they need to figure out how to create the volume of scoring chances necessary to sustain the numbers that they've produced the last year. And that's a big ask. Whereas Caulfield already produces the volume necessary uh, from the first half of the year to the second half of the year. It, it was crazy how much he was generating great looks, great scoring chances. So he's already got that part figured out. For him, it's like if the Canadians have a uh, competent power play, 
then that gusts him to the next echelon, right? Sure. And that's where it's going to be really interesting because a, a power play is, for the most part, system-driven. There's individual talents like an Ovechkin or like a insanely talented pivot at the point who can take things to the next level for sure. But a power play is a sum of the parts more than an individual situation where even strength is more an individual breaking down systems and creating space. Power play is taking advantage of that space as a group. And that's why you can see a team like uh, the Vancouver Canucks who are not very good at all have one of the best five-man power play units we've seen in the last, like, ten years. Just all uh, boo-boo. Coach Boudreaux mm-hmm. getting it uh, getting it going. And that's always been a strength for him. And that's interesting when you compare the two, you know, what Stutzla is about to, uh, to try and do. Stutzla's going to have more talent around him, but, uh, you know, how much he's going to generate on his own. Caulfield's going to have no choice but to generate on his own, and he's shown already that he's uh, capable of doing that. And I was going to ask you, and you've already sort of outlined it, there's that sort of the reasonable expectation for Caulfield is, you know, if he could kind of get himself into the mid thirties there, Montreal fans would be satisfied. Yeah. I mean, I, I think satisfied is a, is a weird (laughs) thing because right now I think most Canadians fans are already seeing this season as how can we get Bedard or Mitchkoff or Fantilli. So you want to see progress from guys like Suzuki guys like Caulfield, but not too I don't much. Think, yeah, not too much, right? Like they don't want Suzuki to put up a hundred points or Caulfield to score fifty-five goals, you know, because that's that's going to hurt. They don't want uh, Jake Allen to have the best season of his career and put sure. up a nine twenty-five, you know. <laughs> but they want to not be as bad as last year and be entertained, <laughs> right? While it's going on, right? So they kind of want the same thing that Ottawa has been doing in recent years, where like they're kind of a chaotic, messy team that's fun to watch but still sucks. Yes. And it's hard to know like what is satisfying and what's not for Canadians fans. As much as winning is fun. And if they do win, people will have fun. Sure. I think that, uh, you know, shortchanging the rebuild would be making a lot of people very anxious. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, you're already kind of in this situation with, a, you know, by all accounts, another generational talent, maybe two in the draft next year, you know, don't rush it, right? Maybe stay down here and, and just take your shot at it since you're here anyway. But uh, yeah, um, one of the th- you referenced Jake Allen there and and what's about to happen in net. The 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 biggest story perhaps going into the season, uh, or at least of the last couple of weeks, is going to be Carey Price and the fact that he will not be there. And um, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, Ken Hughes did kind of say it, it looks highly unlikely that you're going to see him this year. Uh, last year was, you know, he had his personal issues. He was battling injury as well on his way back. He did get into action very late in the season and hindsight being what it is. And maybe people in Montreal did take more notice of this than I had. The The last game there where his family's in town and he does take that moment to kind of wave to them as the clock's counting down, maybe should have set off more alarm bells league wide than it did. Um, what is the exact situation with Carey Price right now? Because I don't believe he's officially retired, but but we're not banking on seeing him. Is that correct? No, I mean, he has, I believe, the rest of his contract around 38 or something million dollars owed to him. So he's not going to retire. Right. (laughs) That would be a poor financial decision. (laughs) But uh, overall, it's probably unlikely that we'll see him. It's... 
an unfortunate situation. Uh, he clearly wanted to play. Uh, the issue that he's having with his knee seems to not be healing. That's like been the big issue. And he was offered reportedly when he saw a specialist this year or during the summer, he was offered to either have surgery on the knee to fix it and retire or to get an injection of, uh, I think it was like platelets or something like that to try to get the knee to start healing. So he refused the surgery and went with the injection. And from what I heard at that time, like there was like chronicling throughout the summer, it seemed to start going well and then stagnated and they made the call that he wasn't likely to play. So he'll, he'll be on LTIR for probably the rest of his career. Uh, Very unlikely that he comes back if he misses a whole nother season. And now he's pretty much guaranteed to miss this whole season because the Canadians can't afford to activate him with the cap. So it's, it sucks to end this way for Carey Price, but he'll go down as one of the greatest uh, goaltenders in the history of the franchise. Unfortunately, we happened to have, you know, it happened to happen when management didn't understand what they had when he was in his prime, uh, never went all in. And the one time that he actually got a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final, they were a Cinderella team and they couldn't pull it off. They just straight up weren't good enough. Yeah. Is, uh, so he does make his way back last year. Is it that he like could play, but be incredibly uncomfortable. Like, did he re-aggravate it since those games? What, what is it that allowed him to play then that isn't allowing him to play now? Is it just the fact that that was a couple games, this is going to be 82 or. I believe it's likely a combination of high risk of re-injury and not being comfortable playing, uh, that he could move in the way that he wanted to. Right. I think it's one of those situations where, you know, if it was the Stanley Cup final and he had the opportunity to play, he'd probably play. Sure. But setting out on a losing season. Yeah. Right. Like if you're coming back for a rebuild, it doesn't make sense. And like what you're willing to put up with with pain. And if you're used to being an elite athlete and they're like, oh, yeah, you can play, but you can play as a shadow of your former self it becomes difficult to convince yourself to go through the necessary grueling rehab constantly, the pain that you're dealing with as a pro athlete to come back and not feel like you can contribute. So there was only maybe two of the five games last, uh, last year when he came back where he actually looked like himself Mm -hmm. and that's probably not good enough for him. Sure. Like his standards are high. Like he, you heard all the time during his career that Carey Price's biggest critic was Carey Price, you know, where he'd be the first person to call himself out after a game for like letting in a goal that he didn't like. And there were goals that he let in that make no sense to not like that. He still didn't like, you know? <laughs> so uh, if he can't stop the shots that he expects to, that's the issue, I think, more than anything. And, you know, if as long as you have an injury that prevents you from being 100%, you can go on the injured reserve. Yeah. He's a hard guy to, or it's a hard career to evaluate because of, you know, Montreal not having a ton of success through his tenure. You did mention that he'll, be, he'll go down as one of the best uh, goalies in franchise history. That's a hell of a list to be on. Um, he does have a World Cup and an Olympic gold medal. Is he a Hall of Famer for you? I think you'd have to go through with a fine tooth comb to find a player who won the Hart Trophy and didn't make the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. 
I think that kind of seals the deal. Uh, I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer just because injuries uh, shortened his career, shortened his prime years as well. His peak was incredible. Uh, it, honestly, the four years where Price was at his best, I believe it was uh, it was like 2013, 14 through 2018, 2017. Sounds about right. Uh yeah, he, it was actually the highest, the most that a goaltender has differentiated, differentiated themselves from the pack behind them since Dominic Hasek wow. in a four-year period. So people now, because he's struggled since then due to injuries, kind of disregard him a little bit too much. Like the people who think that he's like definitely behind Lundqvist or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, Lundqvist had a longer peak, I think, Lundqvist is slightly ahead of him in terms of I think Lundqvist is a first ballot Hall of Famer, but it's just it's a hair for me, and it's just because Price couldn't make his career last because of various situations outside his control. But uh, it, it's it's incredible what he was able to do. It's just you know ever since that hit from Kreider, uh, Price is also his own worst enemy in a way in that he played injured a lot, right? Uh, where a lot of people would take games off and and heal price would push through it and make injuries worse. Uh, that happened in 2015, 16 when he was injured, I think like nine games in or something like that. And he missed a few weeks and then came back and played two or three games. And you could tell he like, he he was not healthy at all. And then he went down and missed the rest of the year. So it's stuff like that, that I think shortened his career. But in terms of his legacy, I think at the very least, of his generation of goaltenders starting like the guys who started post 0506 lockout. Yeah. He's second best to Lundqvist or right there for number one spot. And if you like move it back further, like Luongo is obviously in that group as well. Sure. And uh, I think if you talk to any goalie coach or any young goaltender, the person they model their game after is Carey Price because he's the most technically perfect goaltender that's probably ever played. Uh, that even player like goaltenders today who are taking it to the next level, who are fantastic guys like uh, Igor in New York or uh, Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, on a, from a technical standpoint, fluidity of movement, economy of movement, Price is still the guy that you point to and say, this is how you would teach, right? So even if they might end up having better careers, sure. he's going to be a guy who is on videotapes in goalie schools for a generation. Hmm. Uh, it is a sad way to see his, uh, his career end. He's uh, obviously one of the best of all time. And I, I mean, you talk about just fluidity of movement, always being in the right position. You remember those, that uh, 2014 Olympics, it just didn't look like anyone was ever going to score. And some of that was the way the team defended, but just, he was just phenomenal, right? Like there was no, yeah. there was never a rebound half the time off the guy. It was a, uh, it was quite something. As we get ready to start camps, give me one or two kind of storylines that people in Montreal are going to be following, or a young player other than Slavkovsky that everyone's excited to see. Just what's the what's the story going into camp? I think the, the main story right now for the Canadians is they have too many forwards. They have so many forwards, so something's got to give, right? There's there's rumors of Christian Dvorak being traded. There's rumors of. Uh, them trying to move other players. Paul Byron now is expected to not be on injured reserve to start the season, which mm. I think everyone thought he was going to miss the whole year. So <laughs> that's the story. Uh, Jonathan Durant is healthy and 
ready to go. He just changed his number as well. So maybe that gives him some good luck on the health uh, sure. side of things. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Sean Monahan apparently is healthy and ready to go. So I think the main thing to look at for this year for the Canadians is like who's going to be the bounce backs that actually hit. Because there's going to be at least one or two. Sure. Right? Evgeny Dadanov has is going to have a chance likely to play on the first line. Uh, Slavkovsky's there, but again, I think the best course of action for him is to be sent down to the American Hockey League where his contract slides. Mm-hmm. He's a European teenager. Uh, Brendan Gallagher is a huge potential bounce back, bounce back candidate. Had the lowest shooting percentage of his career last year. Played injured the whole season. Uh, was injured throughout the summer and couldn't train. This year, he went into the summer healthy. He's had a full training camp. He could possibly bounce back to the level of scoring 30 goals. His, when uh, St. Louis took over at the end of the year there, Gallagher looked like his old self. The puck just wasn't going in for him. So I look at Gallagher as a guy who can score 25 to 30 this year and surprise a lot of people who thought he was done. Yeah. But th- I think the main storylines throughout the Canadians lineup this year are guys like Evgeny Dadanov, guys like uh, Paul Byron, Jonathan Duran, Sean Monaghan, unexpiring contracts, What's going to happen with them? Are they going to get traded? When are they going to get traded? What does that mean? Who's going to come up? So for prospects and young players, obviously Kirby Doc just signed to a four-year contract extension or contract. Sorry, he wasn't on a contract. It was not an extension (laughs) for a very reasonable cap hit through basically what will be his prime years, uh, taking him to his last year of restricted free agency. He's a player who could really – hit this year with a little bit of confidence uh you know if he fills up it fills out his draft pedigree that's an incredible value add for the montreal canadians and then from uh, the ahl jesse alone i think is the guy to keep an eye on he probably would have made the team this year if they didn't have so many forwards signed to long-term contracts so once they start moving players out and they will at some point do that uh I expect him to be the guy to get called up and uh, play in the NHL. He just plays a very complete game, and he's got a lot of offense that has been untapped. Yeah, to me, I, I, I'm glad you brought up Kirby Doc. That's a guy I'm fascinated to see what happens, right? He he kind of got off to a hot start. Then he goes to that World Junior. I think it was his wrist he ends up hurting. That costs him yeah. half a season, and it hasn't quite ever gotten back to uh, – to where he wanted to be, I, I think maybe a fresh start, and uh, he's certainly going to be given opportunities there to produce in a top six role. I would imagine. Um, yeah, I, I'm fascinated to see what that guy's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, he's a six foot four center who can skate. Yeah, you know, and they don't it has a history. Of, <laughs> no, they don't. Has a history of like decent production as well. So it, it's an interesting bet. You know, I think it's it's a worthwhile bet, but. Uh, We'll see how it works. He hasn't scored very well in the NHL. No. Uh, and, you know, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he becomes a third-line center. But for $3.3 million, it's a pretty decent third-line center if he can hit. Totally agree with that. Uh, tell people once more about uh, Game Over. And, uh, and I know you guys are hiring. Let's put it out there once more before we get out of here. Yeah, for sure. So Game Over Montreal goes live after every Montreal Canadiens game. It's hosted by myself. And this year... We added uh, Mark Dumas, so it's the reunification oh, nice. of uh, the two of us after we split ways, both of us leaving EOTP back in like 2016. <laughs> so that's really fun. And then we have Game Over hiring at uh, sdpn.ca slash careers in Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, 
and Ottawa. We are launching markets, uh, launching uh, shows in every Canadian city for NHL teams, and it's going to be really fun this year. These are all on uh, YouTube. We'll make sure we uh, share the link on the SDPN YouTube page. What happens? I just logistically, because I'm kind of a nerd for this stuff. Uh, now that there's you know going to be seven teams, uh, what happens when games finish at the same time? Can you go live twice from the same channel? Yes, you can do concurrent streams. How about that? That's yeah, perfect. so it'll be fun. You'll have to choose if if we do like uh, the first game of the year between Montreal and Toronto. There'll be two streams, so you'll have to choose, or you can go back and forth. <laughs> Whatever you choose, but uh, we're gonna add some incentives this year as well. I think we're gonna maybe do some like uh, hockey card pack giveaways stuff oh, yeah. like that. That sounds pretty cool. Um, listen, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you doing it twice and, uh, and making <laughs> some time for me. And uh, hopefully, we can uh, do it again once the season gets up and going. All right, sounds good, man. That is Andrew Berkshire from the SDPN. We appreciate him uh, making some time. Uh, just a couple things. I know I mentioned earlier on in the week that uh, we would be talking to Dave Bedini this week, but uh, just the way things have shaken out here and the fire alarm testing, uh, the Tim Stutzla news, uh, the week got kind of full around here and it was already a short week. So we've pushed it back. Dave Bedini is going to be on the podcast early next week, as well as Slava Malamud, who some of you may know from uh, hockey Twitter. He's a hockey commentator. Uh, obviously Russian, you may have guessed from that name and a strong Russian background lives in the United States now. Um, and I just reached out to him the other night on Twitter and said, would you consider coming on and talking about this 72 series from the Russian perspective, how it will be remembered there, how it is remembered there. Um, you know, there, there's two sides to every story. So Dave Bedini has been involved with this CBC production, uh, of summit 72, which debuts on Wednesday, the 14th. And, uh, we were having him on to talk about the series, and so thought I'd reach out to Slava, and he was kind enough to say yes as well. So we will get the Russian side of the story, which will be really fun. Uh, we'll do that next week as well, probably on Wednesday morning. You'll hear from Slava. Still working out the exact dates, but stay tuned. You're subscribed. You should be anyway on your podcast app. It'll pop up for you when they uh, when they drop. And of course, you can follow us on social media to uh, make sure you don't miss any announcements on when these are going to happen. You can do that at Tall Can Audio on uh, any of your social media feeds. We're kicking around there. We've also got Arden Zwelling coming up within the next week or two to talk a little about the Blue Jays. We've got Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic checking back in. It's a busy month, as I said uh, a week or two ago. There's a ton going on uh, in the sports world right now, and we got so many great guests and friends of the show. We want to keep getting on here to, uh, to bring you the real story. So uh, with that in mind, we'll wind things down here. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. You Habs fans can get off my back now. We got a little Habs content in here for you. Hopefully that'll keep you satisfied for a bit. We'll get out of here. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you all next time. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still count was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.